You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. The serious side of the J. Rouse Show is coming up next right here on the TJRS Radio Network online radio at its best. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. 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 No more, it's none of my business. No more, I'm sure they'll work it out. No more, boys will be boys. No more, I'll say something next time. No more, why didn't she tell anyone? No more, she was flirting with him. No more, she's too smart to let that happen. No more, not my problem. No more, he didn't mean it. No more, why doesn't she just leave? No more, he said he was sorry. No more, she was drunk. No more, she was asking for it. No more, she seems just fine to me. No more, she should have been more careful. No more, we don't talk about that. No more bystanding. No more ignorance. No more excuses. No more. No more. No more. WWE Superstar Big Show here to tell you if you've been drinking, get a ride. Take a cab. Find another safe way to get home. Cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving. They will see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. Online radio at its best. Online radio at its best. Hey, 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 good stuff. If you're ready, map of the south. Let's do this. I'm telling you, I am first. Very honored that you would join me tonight. He has a very limited time spot, so we want to bring in Mr. Alan Sowell right away. Hey, how are you, Kathleen? You know what? I'm going to make a do with a do, baby. Man, what's crack a baby? What's crack a It's time for the serious side of the James Brown Show. Don't try to call me out, princess. You can take your love and true purpose and stick it. She's a bitch. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. Network. Live from NPR News, I'm Giles Snyder. With the ongoing demonstrations around the country over the death of George Floyd, protesters aren't satisfied with the arrest of the fired Minneapolis police officer shown on video using his knee to pin Floyd's neck to the ground. Protesters chanting during a peaceful demonstration that wound through the streets of Minneapolis Saturday. Later in the evening, police, state troopers, and National Guard members moved in to break up the protest after a curfew took effect using tear gas and rubber bullets to clear the streets. Many business owners in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, are waking up to widespread vandalism this morning. Jason DeBruin of Member Station WUNC reports on the protests and rally that stretched late into the night. Protesters gathered in at least three separate groups in Raleigh, North Carolina. Police formed barricades across some streets and shot tear gas into the crowds at times, mostly when protesters began throwing objects through windows. Travion Bryant said he was protesting because he was tired of being scared every day. I'm scared to even drive to be out at a certain time of night because it's like, I don't want them to say, because I keep all my stuff on me. I don't want to go in my pocket and get shot. Some protesters vandalized buildings, including private businesses and government offices. For NPR News, I'm Jason DeBruin in Raleigh, North Carolina. There was also chaos in downtown Philadelphia. Thousands swarmed into downtown commercial districts, as Peter Crimmins, member station WHYY reports. 
Looters used hammers and bats to smash storefront windows of retail shops. People jumped through the broken windows to carry out anything they could grab, even fully dressed mannequins. Several police cars were also set on fire. One of the leaders of the demonstration, Nicholas Six King, said that massive destruction is not what the protest is about. The looters didn't stand with us in front of the police and voice their opinion because they wasn't here for that. They were here to be exactly what they are, criminals. Protesters say they plan to return to downtown Philadelphia today. From PR News, I'm Peter Crimmins in Philadelphia. The protests in San Francisco culminated in late-night destruction and a tense standoff between some protesters and police on a freeway. From member station KQED, Kate Wolf describes what happened. Around dusk, some protesters broke into a major mall downtown and stole goods before making their way down the city's main thoroughfare, breaking windows and stealing from several stores. Other protesters blocked a major freeway, and the standoff with police lasted for about an hour. San Francisco Mayor London Breed held an emergency press conference to denounce the violence and vandalism, and said the city would implement an 8 p.m. curfew beginning Sunday. Several other protests are planned in the city for the next few days. For NPR News, I'm Kate Wolf in San Francisco. This is NPR. Coming up next, on a very special edition of the serious side of the J. Ryle Show. Prosecutors say Officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, including 2 minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd had become unresponsive. This afternoon, the county prosecutor explained why the charges came today. We have the officer's body-worn camera. We have statements from some witnesses. We have a preliminary report from the medical examiner. According to the charging documents, police were responding to a call of Floyd using a counterfeit $20 bill. During the attempt to put a handcuffed Floyd into the police car, the defendant pulled Mr. Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car, held him with a knee to the neck. At one point, another officer asked, should we roll him on his side? Chauvin replied, no, staying put where we got him. In this newly circulated video, three officers have Floyd pinned on the ground, while another stands over them. You can hear Floyd pleading for air. The officer who pressed his knee to Floyd's neck has been identified as Derek Chauvin. He doesn't let up until the 46-year-old's listless body is put on a stretcher. And I've wrestled with more than anything else over the last 36 hours, one fundamental question. Why is the man who killed George Floyd not in jail? If you had done it, or I had done it, we would be behind bars right now. And I cannot come up with a good answer to that question. And so I'm calling on Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman to act on the evidence before him. I'm calling on him to charge the arresting officer in this case. We cannot turn a blind eye. It is on us as leaders to see this for what it is and call it what it is. George Floyd deserves justice. His family 
deserves justice. The black community deserves justice. And our city deserves justice. Angry crowds tonight in the streets of New York, protesting yet another controversial grand jury decision. Adding a new chant to the growing chorus of civil discontent across the country. Now responding to the white police officer seen here, not facing charges for holding down an unarmed black man, Eric Garner, in an apparent chokehold that is said to have eventually killed him. Protests breaking out in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Oakland, California. Outrage sparked by this video from July. Garner, who had been accused of selling cigarettes illegally on New York's Staten Island, seen here being taken down by NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo. The officer apparently using a banned chokehold on Garner. The father of six later died. The grand jury choosing not to indict officer Pantaleo a decision that infuriated many. And it was over a lousy cigarette that killed the man. An Ohio grand jury today declined to indict two white Cleveland police officers, Timothy Lohman and Frank Garmbach, in the shooting death of 12-year-old Tamir Rice. Rice was shot in November of last year after being spotted waving a gun in a park. It turned out to be a toy. The prosecutor called the incident an absolute tragedy, but not a crime. DeMarco Morgan is in Cleveland. Simply put, given this perfect storm of human error, mistakes and miscommunications by all involved that day, the evidence did not indicate criminal conduct by police. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Tim McGinty said this enhanced video shows 12-year-old Tamir Rice was pulling a pellet gun out of his waistband just before he was shot. Either intended to hand it over to the officers or show them it wasn't a real gun. But there was no way for the officers to know that because they saw the events rapidly unfolding in front of them from a very different perspective. Prosecutors say the police radio dispatcher was also to blame for not telling the officers that the gun may have been fake and that the suspect may have been underage. That information came in on a 911 call. He's sitting on a swing right now, but he keeps pulling it in and out of his pants and pointing at people. But the radio dispatcher told the officers this. He said, in the park by the youth center, there's a black male sitting on a swing. So he keeps pulling a gun out of his pants and pointing it at people. Officer Lowman shot Rice within two seconds of pulling up to the scene with his training officer, Frank Garmbach. We begin tonight with that chilling piece of video live streamed on Facebook in the moments after a man is shot by police. His girlfriend in the car, pulling out her phone and then capturing the moments right after. Her exchange with the police officer. Now seen by millions across this country, the pictures coming in now here in New York City of protesters gathering near Union Square. And just a short time ago, the governor of Minnesota asking, would this have happened if those passengers were white? He said, I don't think so. We begin with ABC's Gio Benitez in Minnesota. Stay with me. This is Diamond Reynolds streaming live on Facebook from her cell phone just moments after her boyfriend, Philando Castile, was shot by police 
during a traffic stop over what she says was a broken taillight. She says Castile told the officer he was carrying a licensed gun. He's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um, pocket, and he let the officer know that he was re- he had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet. And the officer just shot him in his arm. The police officer pointing his gun into the car. Reynolds calm and clear. Her young daughter in the back seat. Waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. I will. He just shot his arm off. We got pulled over on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He had, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh, my God. Please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Where's my daughter? You got my daughter? Then officers, guns drawn, order Reynolds out of the car. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Now on the ground, she never stops live streaming. They threw my phone, Facebook. Police perform CPR on Castile on the street. Reynolds now detained in a patrol car, her cell phone still recording. I don't know if he's okay or if he's not okay. Her daughter's still with her. Reynolds finally breaks down. I can't really do because they got me handcuffed. I can't believe they just did this. I'm This shooting was entirely captured on video. And again, a warning, it's graphic. It is unedited footage of a man being shot. Take a look. Have your license, please. Get out of the car! Get out of the car! Get on the ground! Get on the ground! I just got my license! You think you're my license? Put your hands behind your back. 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 So distressing. What did I do? What did I do? He goes on to say his leg is numb and the officer calls in help. You see there, are you hit? I think so. I can't feel my leg. I don't know what happened. That major outrage this morning after a behavioral therapist was shot by an officer after he held his hands in the air, lying on the ground, his patient with autism sitting right nearby. ABC's Gio Benitez has more on this story. Good morning to you, Gio. Amy, good morning to you. That new video taking social media by storm overnight. The unarmed black behavioral therapist shot by police on the streets of Miami. And police say it all started when they got a call about a man threatening suicide. Watch, just moments before the shooting, you can see 47-year-old Charles Kinsey, his hands raised in the air. The video released overnight by his lawyer. Kinsey, in the yellow shirt, works at an assisted living facility. And the man at his feet is a 23-year-old with autism who ran away from the group home. Listen as Kinsey talks to police. Kinsey even tries to calm the young man with autism. At some point, one of the officers shoots Kinsey, but he survives and speaks with Fox Station WSVN from his hospital bed, recounting what he told that officer. And I'm telling again, sir, there's no need for a firearm. I'm unarmed. He's an autistic guy. He had a toy truck in his hand.
when he hit me, I'm like, I still got my hands in the air. I said, no, I just got shot. And I'm standing there, I'm like, sir, why did you shoot me? And his, ex- and his words to me, he said, I don't know. Video of the... No justice, no peace! Tonight, the jury's acquittal of a Tulsa police officer is proving almost as controversial as the shooting itself. Officer Betty Shelby told 60 Minutes she opened fire on 40-year-old Terrence Crutcher, fearing he was reaching for a weapon. I never want to kill him. <laughs> but Crutcher was unarmed, and the killing of a black man by a white officer made Tulsa the latest flashpoint in a nationwide debate over police use of force. Loved ones of Breonna Taylor grieving and outraged. The 26-year-old Louisville first responder shot eight times and killed by police. Just to know that she um, died like that in the comfort of her own home. On March 13th, before 1 a.m., Louisville police say three officers executed a search warrant at Taylor's apartment, an address police believed was used by a suspected drug dealer to traffic narcotics. Police reports say officers Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankinson, and Miles Cosgrove, wearing plain clothes and no body cameras, announced themselves and forced entry. The officers forced entry into the exterior door and were immediately met by gunfire. But in a new wrongful death lawsuit against the officers, Taylor's family says they never announced themselves. The suit says Taylor and her boyfriend Kenneth Walker, startled from sleep, believed it was a break-in and called 911 for help. Walker, a licensed gun owner, then shot and wounded one of the officers. Officers returned fire, the suit says, blindly into the residence. Taylor's family attorneys say no drugs were found in the home. Today is May 31st. 2020, and welcome to the serious side of the J. Rao Show. I'm your host, J. Rao, and uh, today's show is dedicated to the plight of black America, LWB and DWB, living and dying while black. Now, I must warn you that today's show is going to be a very somber show. It's going to be a show that's going to be Um, I'm pretty sure some animated conversations Because let me tell you right now I am angry When I tell you I am angry I am angry And I have had it With how our people are being treated So I'm going to ask for forgiveness up front Because I'm not sure If I can maintain my professionalism After watching What has happened to another Unarmed black man Just LWB And eventually, we saw him go from LWB to DWB, dying while black. As always, I never shared a stage by myself. Let me bring in my family. Let me bring in my big sis, uh, Vanessa. Good morning, uh, Vanessa. How are you doing this Sunday morning? First, I start by saying, Father God, please help me to have some good words and some calm words to come out of my mouth. Help me to say what needs to be said and not what I really want to say. Now I will say good morning, everybody, because today 
I am black, black, ghetto, South Park, Upper Martin Luther King, black. And I, I'm asking God to help me because I'm, I'm, a, I'm really pissed off. I am really pissed off. So y'all going to be shocked at some stuff that might come out of my mouth. So good morning, everybody. Good morning, Big Sis. Glad you're here. Let me bring in uh, the educator brother, Mr. Johnny D. Good morning, sir. How are you doing this morning? I am blessed and and doing well. Um, I, too, am certainly disturbed by the images that uh, have been depicted and that we've come so accustomed to knowing in this America and uh, certainly am prepared to 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 converse in, in an informed and, and a respectable manner. But I do pray for Mr. Floyd's family. And, Jay, that, that lead-in was, was real powerful because although you, you know, you never forget the atrocities um, and the unprecedented deaths of any human being, but more particular uh, unarmed African-American males and females, uh, just hearing that as as a reminder brought back some stark memories, and uh, you know what's even more disturbing is the lack of conviction for these acts that was caught on camera. So, you know, again, I I, I thank you, I thank Mr. Nessa, Dr. Williams, uh, Jerome, and Les, and those listeners who allow me an opportunity to be a part of this broadcast and to come into your homes each week so uh again you know just know that that i'm praying for you big brother and you know you you you've been doing this for a long time so let that resonate so that those individuals at the end of this two hours will walk away and form and be prepared to to make the changes that's going to be required since we've been dealing with this injustice since African-Americans dock the shores of, um, of North America. Thank you so much, Johnny. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Kathleen Williams. We're going to need some prayer today. Good morning. Dr. Williams, how are you doing this morning? Oh, my God. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm doing like all of you uh, are doing and have been doing um this weekend, this week, this past week, this past year, these past several years. Um, I just want to honor you and thank you for having the insight and the wisdom so many years ago to start this show. Because um, as all of this stuff was happening over the weekend. I really just look forward to being with you all this morning. I couldn't wait for 10 o'clock Eastern time to be able to join with you and share the necessary voices that are on this program with the black community to share them with my own soul 
this has got to change. This has got to change. And I believe this is our contribution to making that speak, to, to keeping keeping the conversation going week after week after week when MSNBC and CNN and all the others forget about the life within the 30 minutes or 60 minutes of their television show. This show, the J. Riles Show, keeps this conversation going every week, and it's a necessary voice. And I just thank God for you and thank God for the opportunity to be here with you. God bless you all, and good morning. Curtis, I feel the same way about you, Dr. Williams. Let's bring in the uh, smartest man in the world, Mr. Jerome Freeman. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm um, I'm well, man. How are you? I guess um, I'm here, man. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say, um, say to Kathleen and Les and Johnny and Vanessa, and, um, you know, I I want to acknowledge everybody on the show, first of all. And I know everybody's, you know, we're all like family anyway, um, just for doing this show and connecting. But we can all feel the emotions of each other on the show because, you know, we are constantly here week after week, you know. And so it's one of those things that when one of us are hurting, we all are going to hurt. And it's just kind of a shared, um, it's not just a shared experience in us. It is one of those moments that, whether it's Alias dealing with, you know, people who are being crazy in the chat room or you're getting, you know, comments from, you know, text or, or emails of, of people giving opinions on what we're saying on the show. Um, and we can sometimes have varying of opinions on a lot of things. But one time, you know, I think every now and then people forget that black people have a different experience in this country. And when there's a different experience, I think white folks need to understand that it is not for us to convince you that something is going on with us, right? And so you can't reason, you can't, you know, reasonably um, uh, accept us to listen to your pleas about how we should be feeling. And this stuff is a result of you know, a couple hundred years of neglect of the emotion that's going on in certain communities, you know, and also, you know, I want to make sure that I'm clear about this. Black people aren't destructive by nature. It's not what we do. But it's easier for the news to report on the destruction part of this as, you know, uh, as a cause, but the destruction and effect. And if you look at a lot of those clips, what's going on? In this whole situation, there are people ag- agitating this. The police has a big part, just like Ferguson, of uh, police officers undercover throwing stuff at the police just to spark stuff off. So we have a couple of wars that's going on right now. We're in our emotions, and we know how we feel about it's not just the spark. We know what we feel about what happened. But what's going on now is a part of people. Pr- Pouring like, gasoline on fire for another agenda, and we need to work these things all at the same time. So today's program, hopefully, um, as listeners, you know, 
all over the world, the people who are in other countries who are listening can kind of understand what we're about to talk about has a lot to do with that overall policing systemic racism that is going on and that has been going on that we never get to talk about. So hopefully today everybody can get something outside of their comfort zone in this show. Thank you, Jerome. And the man who gets the first and last word here on the serious side, Mr. L.E.S. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, all. Good morning, all. It's a somber morning, and it's just a tiring morning, to be honest. Just tiring. Yes, it is. Uh, the call number is 347-850-1272. You can be a part of the conversation. You can go into the world-famous chat room, or you can... Uh, Place your comments on social media, and I'm here to tell you before we even get into it, you know, I'm not reading any nonsense this morning. When I tell you I'm upset, I'm upset, and there's nothing that anyone can say to me this morning that's going to change that fact. Like my colleagues have said, I appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your Sunday morning ritual, and we thank you so much for coming here and listening and like Kathleen said, there's no place I'd rather be right now than to be with the group of people that we're with right now. All right, we're going to step out take a real quick break. And on the other side, we're going to continue or begin this conversation. LWB, DWB, living and dying while black. The plight of black America. Right here on the serious side. We'll be right back.
more fallout as a city agency now steps in after seeing this video and hearing what Amy Cooper was saying to a stranger. There is an African-American man. I'm in Central Park. He's recording me and threatening myself and my dog. Chris Cooper in Central Park. The fact that there was a video made it very clear what um, the violations of our law were. Sapna Raj is Deputy Commissioner of Law Enforcement for the City's Commission on Human Rights. The agency just sent Cooper a letter, a pre-complaint intervention, the first step in its investigation. A chilling effect Monday after Amy refused to put her dog on leash, which is the law, she called police falsely claiming a black man, Chris, was threatening her. She has since been fired from her job, wasn't arrested, but officials are demanding police do more. I am not okay today. That woman was so comfortable in her privilege that even being recorded, she felt like nothing would happen to her. Since this case only involves one person, the commission isn't looking for a change in policy like it did with fashion giant Prada and its racially offensive window display. It's also not looking to issue any fines, which it also can do, up to $250,000 in civil penalties. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Amy did apologize and now has five days to respond to that letter, or the next step could be litigation. Welcome back, 347 You're listening to the Serious Side, a very special edition of the Serious Side of the J. Rouse Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. Um, you know, obviously the events from this past week, the killing of George Floyd, they're on camera has sparked outrage, not only here in this country, but overseas as well, as our British uh, brothers and sisters are taken to the streets saying they had enough and they're tired of the way our people are being treated. What people don't understand is that we as a people are united, whether we're from this country or from whatever country. The color of our skin gives us something that makes us common with our brother and sister. When one hurt, we all hurt. And so it's refreshing to see uh, people overseas uh, taking to the streets because of the injustices that are happening here in this country. Let's get this conversation started. First of all, let's start with you, Mr. Elias. You get the first and last word here on the serious side. What do you think, man? Just give me your thoughts on what you've been seeing this past week that's going on here in this country uh, throughout some of the great American cities uh, in this country, some of the uh, protests. Just give me your thoughts on what you've been seeing so far. Well, you know what, Jay? The bottom line is it's played out here before with Eric Gardner, with Tamir Rice. Trayvon Martin, it, it, you know, and it, it, it's time to take a di- different narrative, man. You know, and I, I'm surprised they haven't, they, for, for George Floyd, I'm surprised they haven't character assassinated this guy yet. I, I really am. And this, this, I mean, we need to we need to get our own and we need to stop spending money with these people because the only thing these people understand is money. And when money stops going through their hands and it stays within the black community, that's when they'll start listening to us, man. To be honest, I you know that that's 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 the only narrative that they're going to understand. But as long as we're spending money with them, they'll placate us and they'll say, "Oh, we, you know, we're sorry, guys, that this happened to you. We, we we don't we don't want it to happen ever again." And then two weeks later, it'll be the same thing, man. So and until we stop spending that that almighty dollar, because that's the only thing that makes this country thrive. Because they don't care whether they, 
during this virus. They don't care whether you live or die. As long as you're out there spending that money, that's the only thing that they're going to listen to. And so we as black Americans or, or the, the minorities in this country get together and stop spending our money with these major corporations and get our own, that's when they'll, that's when they'll take heed and start listening. But until that time, they're gonna they're gonna play Caden. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna suffice and give us all oh, you know the pat on the back. Oh, okay, now we'll arrest this officer and let's see what they do to him. Because the guy that the guy that choked Eric Gardner to death, he's still on the police force and he's still running around doing what he's doing. So actually, nothing, nothing happened actually to him. He was fired. He was fired. For, he was fired well, years later. He was acquitted. That's what happened. He was yeah. acquitted. They didn't charge him with any crime. Yeah, so he was fired eventually. And, and, but so, I mean, that's what's going to happen, and he can, and he can still go to another police department and go to work, and nothing's going to happen because that's what they do over and over and over and over and over again. So until we stop spending money, our money with these people, that that's that's the only thing that that's that, that's the only thing that white people understand is money. So, and we we spend enough money that uh, I think it's twelve to twelve billion dollars a year just in the black just in the black community alone. To keep the economy going, so if we, if we if just imagine if we kept that money within our own community, like we did with Black Wall Street, and we start opening up businesses, because there's millionaires and billionaires, black millionaires and billionaires that that can open up stores, they can open up all the stuff that we need in our own communities if we all just got together and just did that and kept and keep the money flowing within our own community, we could do it. Vanessa, help me with the correlation between what Mr. Elias is saying and what we're seeing as far as violence with unarmed black men. I mean, I think it's simple enough to say, okay, yeah, we need to spend money in our own neighborhoods and do these types of things. But I think the bigger picture here, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's the policing of African Americans, how white folks feel that they have the ability to do what they have to do. You heard the lead in. This lady in the park walking her dog says, I'm going to call because she knows she has privilege. I am going to call the police and say that a black man is threatening my life. Now think about if the police showed up because this guy was watching birds and he asked her to put her dog on the leash, which, by the way, is the law. She calls and makes this comment. Is it as simple to stop spending money with these people or are the problems bigger than that? when it comes to how our people are treated when they have their encounters with law enforcement? First of all, I absolutely, totally agree with Les, because I have been posting for a week now that they are boycotting spending money July the 7th of 2020. Come together as black people and don't spend that one single Penny that day. Quarantine your wallet and your purse. Now, I know people are thinking that one day doesn't make a difference, but it does. And God forgive me for saying this, but me, I would have burnt down Rodeo Drive because people don't understand it until it affects them. And if you and the and the people in Hollywood, ain't, they're not saying a word. Don Lemon calls for them to call it to his show. They're not saying a word. Black, white, green, or purple. They're not saying a word. So you know, 
the only thing that affects them is money. So when you start burning down their stuff, not like what, burning down your own stuff, when you start burning down their stuff, then the wives would be getting on the husband to change the laws and the rules because that is the only thing that's really going to affect them is money and changing the rules so black people won't burn down their stuff. But as long as black people out there burning down their own stuff, they don't care. Burn it. Burn it. They don't care. Because white people feel like they're privileged and they're now realizing it. And you know how we know they're realizing it? When I sent out a text message about the white people out there with the police, there was a chain of white people blocking the black people so that no harm would come to them. They were using their privilege. Then you saw white people out there fighting against the police because they knew they weren't going to get shot down. I couldn't believe how many white people were out there helping the black people protest and walk and march all over the world, all over the world. I have never in my 57 years of my life, yes, I have lived through racism. Yes, I have lived with police officers who pulled me over just to ask me what's on my life in place. Every week, they thought I was going to take them off my license plate, and I didn't. My license plate said Sex ZZ, S-E-X-Z-Z, when I was young, like I was in my teens. And they pulled me over every week, thinking that them pulling me over was going to make me change my license plate. And I didn't. I didn't change it until I got married. So I have been living sick for a long time. I was one of the ones where they started busting and mixing and mingling black and white together. Well, we had to catch a bus to go across town rather than go to a school in our neighborhood that we could walk to. I'm the one who have worked like a dog to have what I have and have been called a nigger on the airplane. And I probably have more money than the person that calls me a nigger. So I say all of this, and I am so sorry because I don't be, I don't like crime. But this has to stop, and the only way it's gonna stop is if you start snatching their money because this economy means everything to them. Put your money in your pocket. Look up and find the black gas station, which me and Bobby are going to start trying to do. And forgive me, y'all. And start trying to find black stores. But I would have burned down Rodeo Drive. I would have, I would have started throwing fires over there. Because that would have affected them. That's when those wives that are rich, black and white, would have said, honey... I can't go out because there's niggers out there throwing fire. I They didn't burn down my favorite store. That's exactly what I would have done. That's exactly what I would have done. Don't burn down your stuff. Don't burn down the black people's stuff. Burn down the, yeah. the white people's stuff. Now, I'm just saying, I'm sorry. I usually don't talk too no. long. It's usually not me. But I'm no, just you, saying. You, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to apologize. I'm Everyone's emotions are raw. And, and and it's just I, the way I, it is. I mean, we this right we, here. We, mm-hmm. This right here. This right here. 
it's making you have to explain to these children why is this happening? And and me, James, while I'm talking to you, my Facebook page is blowing up because I posted a white boy with a police officer getting water. So the police officer gave the white boy in handcuffs water. And then there are people on my page saying, well, I don't see what's wrong with the picture. Okay, then hell, you are the problem. If you don't see the problem, you are the problem. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's uh, forty five minutes uh, after the top of the hour. Forty or fifteen minutes until the top of the hour. You're listening to the serious side. You know, Kathleen, uh, Vanessa brings up a hell of a point when she talks about the picture. You know, we talk about this man died over a twenty dollar bill, a fake twenty dollar bill. And now, listen, I don't know if he intentionally passed that bill, but what if he didn't intentionally pass that bill? The store owner calls the police, and the police shows up, and this situation goes from bad to worse. And to make the matter so, to make the matters worse is the fact that they lied in their report. They didn't even report that this officer had this man pinned down on the curb with his knee in his neck. And the only time he took his knee off this man's neck when he became motionless, so he killed that man right there and so it reminds me of the shooter that killed all those white kids down in florida when they found that kid they took that kid to mcdonald's and fed that kid before they took that person to jail but here's another situation look what happened with eric garner selling cigarettes passing a fake 20 dollar bill and these men are no longer here there was somebody's father, brother, uncle, and they're gone. What say you? Oh my God! Um, you're, uh, you know, everybody's absolutely right. You know, Vanessa, I, um, I feel your pain, my sister. Uh, we feel each other's pain, and and that is what we're seeing right now. Um, and like Jerome said, I, I'm not really sure exactly what your question was to me. What you wanted, to, what if you want me to address? Um, I will. Um, Jerome mentioned earlier that this is not the national state for black people. We are not. We're not violent, but we're also human and pushed to the brink at this point. Um, Vanessa, uh, Rodeo Drive does have protests right now. Um, that's actually where they're protesting in Los Angeles as well as many other places in Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive. And in the areas where I used to live, um, I didn't live on Rodeo Drive, but I lived in this area called Park Brea, which is a very fancy area in, in Los Angeles uh, right now. And the protests are there, protests in Las Vegas, protests in Arizona, in places where you wouldn't think that people would be protesting, in places that we have never seen protests like this before, even after Rodney King. Um, And I'm so grateful that even the media is being educated to calling this a protest 
a massive worldwide protest and not calling it riots because this is this is protesting the inability to as you said in the opening Jay to live while black and instead too often we are dying simply simply because we're black What they, uh, what they, uh, you know, I, I, um, yeah. Go ahead, finish your thought, Kathleen. I was just commenting on what you were saying. Go ahead. I don't know if we lost her or not. You know, I'm here. The issue for most of us is, you know, many of us that are at home, that those of us who are not, um, doing markets and so on and so forth are every, I know every one of us what can we do what can I do because this can't not touch this can't not touch you this can't not move you into some kind of action or questioning yourself what am I doing and if I'm not doing something then what's going on with me because you can't look from city to city to city to city and not only see the protest, but the opening that you did, Jay, was so powerful because when you look city to city to city, you don't just see people taking up, you know, taking up, taking off the mask or whatever they're doing and going out into the streets and protesting because of this one gentleman, George Floyd, in Minnesota. Every city that they went to, they could pull up a name and say, oh, yeah, last month right here. Oh, yeah, last year right here. New York. Oh, yeah, this is where the original sin began in the you I Can't Breathe type killing. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well, we had John Bell over here just about eight years ago, ten years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to test Oh, yeah. And then we could keep going for hours until we can't breathe. And that's where we are right now. We can't even breathe because of being choked by this incessant racism and unnecessary killing of our men. No, not only that, but the ones that they killed, the ones that are killed on the street, if he had gone to jail for this, then he would be imprisoned with thousands of others that shouldn't even be there. Oh, yeah, we have the... Um, yeah, disparities. Oh, yeah, the health disparities. Oh, yeah, the black community is dying because of coronavirus more than any other community. Oh, yeah, like we could go on forever. That is the underbelly of all of this. The frustration of knowing that after 400 years in this country, we still are not free. We're done. We're done. Enough. Every city. Three four seven eight five zero one two seventy. Listen to a very special edition of the Serious Side. Uh, the plight of Black America. L- LWB and DWB living and dying while black. You know, Johnny D. Uh, one of the things that people are talking about on television, saying, you know, we need to have peaceful protests and uh, we need to make sure that we be civil. We shouldn't tear up things in our own neighborhoods, which I agree to a certain degree. But let's ask ourselves. 
a very serious question here. Had it not turned to violence, had it not turned to burning down buildings and shutting things down, do you honestly think that if people just would have held signs and sang Kumbaya and we shall overcome an amazing grace and walked down the middle of the highways peacefully, do you honestly think that Minnesota would have moved quickly to arrest that officer? Do you honestly think that had it not been for what we've seen, which by the way, just a, just a side note, today is the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, riots, by the way, where tens of thousands of black people were killed and, and displaced. But do you honestly think, Johnny D., we would have the results that we have with this, at least one of the officers being arrested immediately? Well, I'm not going to say immediately because he should have been arrested when it happened. But within 48 hours of the event, do you honestly think, man, that we would they would have done anything had this just been another kumbaya moment? You know, Jay, I, I'm going to go back to 1965 and, and, and Mark Gly and the Watts riots. And, you know, you had citizens of a community uh, burn up and 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 burn the community up and, and act in, in similar manners as we've seen today. So my point being this here, um, now we're talking about some 55 years later and we're still going through the same emotions and dynamics. We saw the same thing take place in 1992 with Rodney King. We saw the same thing take place in 2014 with, with Michael Brown. So it has proven that destroying your community um, is, is, is not effective. Yeah, it, it can get a national attention. It can get national spotlight, and it'll get some, 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 some mic grabbers to come into your community and speak. But does it really galvanize the community and make a change? No, because we're still talking about the same things. Um, so in, in, in respect to those individuals who have a right to exercise their, their liberties I never think that it's appropriate To destroy Anything Let alone the communities in which you live You know I, I go back to some of the wisdom That, that my father imparted on me uh, You know before he passed Back in the 90s And I was I, I had taken off of work Okay to, to see a football game And I remind, I'm reminded of him saying, you know, is, 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 is Franco Harris going to pay your bills? And then also during that same time, I remember throwing something at the television. And after I broke the television, I had to replace it, okay? So I, I learned then that there's a, that there's a price to, 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 vandal, to vandalizing your own community. So I would never submit myself to say that, that that's ever appropriate. You know, I, I look at and I listen to some of these leaders uh, within the communities, and, and I'm disturbed by what I'm seeing. Um, but then also, I, I have the, the opportunity to serve in the law enforcement community, and I know that there is a lot of good, hardworking individuals, both black, white, Asian, of all demographics, of all races, of all genders and ethnicities, who serve their public and in, 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 in the stakeholders every single day. And then I've had to discipline those rogue staff members, okay? And I've had to get rid of them because of the fact that they don't serve 
my vision and they don't serve the agenda. You know, I, I, I look at those four officers and they they are a a a a, a version of, of the many, many corrupt law enforcement officers that, that exist. And it takes me back to the 1700s where really in, in, in America, the first real law enforcement uh, or, or, or vigilante groups was those slave patrols. And who were they tasked to, to root up? African-Americans, uh, predominantly males, because those were the ones who typically was trying to you know, escape captivity and slavery during that time. And then it takes you up to, you know, the 1800s where, you know, you started the actual law enforcement concept as we know it today in Boston, Massachusetts. And, of course, what were they charged to do? To deal with minorities, the Irish, the African-Americans, and, and you know, lo and behold, in, in the early 1900s, uh, uh, I, I've got a book that, that I've read about you know, Negroes, that's what it was called, Negroes and Law Enforcement. That's how old the book is. And it talks about in, in the early 1900s where African-Americans was charged to police their own. Now, of course, they had no authority over white citizens in the community, but it was charged to, to, um, to, to, to enforce laws within themselves. So what, what, what I promote is this here. What I promote is change. How do you change? The, vol- the volatility. Uh, I, I, I help uh, be part of, of a of a of a of a rally on yesterday, and in this community, there were no incidents. Uh, partly because we allowed the people to speak. You know, give them a microphone, let them speak out their angers, and then also be supportive of it, but be respectful of the fact that you don't. Sometimes you don't have to respond. Sometimes you just let people say what they got to say and and, and let it be. But there was no incidents within this community. Then you, you, you take 20 miles up the road, and, and they was tearing up and busting out windows and things like that. So I don't say that to set back and suggest that, that there is a specific formula. But I, I will say that people want to be heard. It's like any other thing. They, they, they want to be informed. They want input. And then they want you to implement the things that they see of value. That's where leaders have to quit talking so much and, and being about some business. Now, you know, uh, last year I talked about having an opportunity uh, through my church to have a scholarship fund for criminal justice students. That's where we have to make the change, folks. Uh, we can no longer, as African Americans and our minorities, continue to villainize those, those entities, those work entities as being uh, law enforcement, corrections, and detention personnel, and then also the judicial branch. We got to be in a place where we can change the laws. We got to be legislators. But there's a lot of things that that sometimes we take out of the equation where we're not even eligible to be part of it. But first, it starts with the perception. And when when you look at the, the, the African-American community at large, you know, even when there was a push in Chicago years ago, um, with the 16 shots on, on that young man, there was promotions, you know, at least, you know, theoretical promotions to bring minorities into law enforcement. And of, of, of numerous applicants that applied, there was only about 30% that they picked up in a large jurisdiction. 
But, you know, where most of them got weeded out at, most of them got weeded out and, and won your mind, the perception, then you, you know, your credit, you know, the drugs and, and the testing, the mental and physical uh, capacities to, to be even considered in those disciplines. So I think that if you want change in law enforcement, you have to be a part of the product because everything, everything that we've tried in America has not been successful. And that's why we're still talking about these painful things today is the truth of the matter is, is that we are not part of, 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 of those entities to make the changes. You know, um, in, in some of those cities, uh, powerful, powerful, powerful words by Mayor Bottoms. But, you know, the thing is, she was speaking from the perspective of not only a community leader, but then also mm-hmm. a black mother who shares the pains Um my, you know, my, my, my wife has had to have the conversation with, with my son after I've had the conversations with him. And, you know, as, as a parent, man, it is painful to step back and have to worry about things that our counterparts and colleagues don't have to worry about. You know, I, I, I have yeah. to teach my son that, you know what, you're a little different. So this is what you can't do. Now, of course, when they grow up and they become adults and most of what you saw um in the Philadelphia's and the Los Angeles were what? Young people. Young people. Yeah. And they aspire to be heard, but the way in which they go about voicing their concerns, we as adults, we, we got to we got to step up because what we've done, we yeah. birthed the generation in which one I think sometimes we're scared of and then also we have entitled them to think that, you know, acting out and pouting it's is it's part of the problem. And I and, and again, yep. not critiquing not critiquing their right to express their liberties, but amongst amongst several of those people who went out there with the right cause, there were even more that went out there with one thing on mind. And that's to be seen, that's to make videos and that's to cause disruption and harm. And right. what did you do it to it in most instances? You did it to hard working minorities who are just simply trying to make a living. Yeah, you're right. I saw a uh, thing on CNN where um, they had, well, actually on MSNBC just a few uh, hours, about an hour ago, they were walking with a business owner, and, and, and Jerome, he was standing there in tears because his lifelong dream of trying to provide for his family went up in flames. So, so I mean, there's a consequence, but some people, Jerome may look at it as being collateral damage. You know, the bottom line is, is that a message has to be sent to the, to the nation, to the world, that we're not going to take it anymore and the fact that this has been going on and like you know everyone talked about it at the beginning of the show we played so many different stories that we have covered here on this show and and you know and it's just when you listen to them in succession it's hard to believe that almost every last one of them sound the same all you need to do is change a name out here or there you have the same scenario but 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 once again what about people out there who are up to no good and, you know, look, Malcolm X, man, by any means necessary, I mean, what's your take on all this, man? What, what do you think? Of you? How, how do you think about the approach that, that, that people are taking to get the word out? Just give me your overall uh, thought process on the events of, of last week. Okay, well, I, mean, I don't, honestly don't know where to speak on that because, you know, I understand, you know, you guys are military and police folks and that whole on order stuff. Yeah, that becomes bred in you. And having an approach to try to figure out how black folks should act while they're being oppressed is crazy to me. 
right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, over the, I don't know how many years of having conversations about this, this always bothers me, right? Because we start fighting about the approach, the approach on how to deal with being oppressed. So I, my example is, it's like telling me that all black folks are locked up in jail, right? And we need to figure out a way how to live comfortably in jail. No, we need to get out, right? You can't tell oppressed people or people who, you know, are are, um, are just flat out denied equal access to every damn thing. You cannot tell them how they should react in any particular situation. So I say, you know, and I really don't do this from my own personal perspective, even on doing on the show, I don't. And so I'm not going to do it right now. But what I will say this is to leaders. I mean, I, I have gotten calls, you know, I have friends in a lot of places, and one of the people from Vegas who called me, I won't shout them out right now, everybody listening, I won't say hey, um, called and said, how do we start up a, a legal defense fund? Because they know someone in another city who's an attorney who wants to help get people out of jail if they're arrested for protesting. And I said, you know, the NAACP has a legal defense fund, but they still pick who they want to get in and out of jail. We have to stop the nonsense of figuring out who we think is a righteous protester opposed to one that's not. Because what is going on is like what happened in Ferguson. When you had undercover officers throwing bottles and stuff at the police from the back, right? Mm. And when the, the black guy approached the officer, he saw that the guy had a gun. And so he yelled to somebody else in the crowd that that's the police. And you know they arrested him on TV. There was a video wow. of that happening. Right? So when people are agitating and, and, and start um, standing the flames of this stuff, we naturally, this is a part of being oppressed. It's a part of what colonizers do. They make you feel like anything to express your own freedom or frustration is a shot against them and how their lives are. So the people who identify, who have post-thinking syndrome, who identify too closely with their captors, they start to feel like they're being attacked. This nonsense about why we're burning up our own communities and stuff is nonsense. So when I see a post saying that some of the people were getting um, tear gas, going to that target, and they said, we're refusing to sell you milk because they know that they were trying to, you know, get that stuff out of their face. When they refused to sell them, the community didn't feel like they were on their side either. Court responsibility set their ass up just like the mayor, and I have to say this about me, that Minneapolis mayor, much respect for that dude. Because also he's in a really tough situation. His, his, it's not just his empathy, but his leadership is telling him there's a reason why this is happening. We can want people to sit down and shut up and be quiet, but we cannot consciously tell them without changing how we are doing business. Right? You cannot have tyranny and tell people you need to love this. Something was going to happen is going to happen at some point, and we hate to deal with that. So I can only talk to leaders in this situation because I know our emotional range is all over the place, and talking to people on the ground and talking to your kids may be a little different. Talking to your neighbors may be a little different. But from a leadership perspective, that we don't need the National Guard, you need to change the police department. If they arrest all four of them fools right now, this stuff would stop. But instead, we're getting defiant, and it's playing into white supremacy. 
So we're bringing in National Guard. They're shooting rubber bullets at people. They're like going full throttle because that's what white supremacists have been yelling since Trump got elected. We're going to have a race war. The kid who went in and shot up the folks in South Carolina in the church, that dude was like, oh, I thought this was going to start a race war. They've been planning for chaos. Black people never plan for chaos. It is not what we do, right? Our humanity is a lot different than that. So don't tell me that we need to change how we are being affected by oppression because all of us are wrong for that. Don't go and tell nobody that. You can tell your kids whatever you want to tell them. You can tell your neighbors. You can tell your family. You can tell your church family. You can help them individually on how to handle it. But collectively, something has to change. So it reminds me of the Million Man March when we went there in 95, and the same thing happened. We had half the fools talking about, oh, I ain't going, I'm, you know, Minister Farrakhan, blah, 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 they don't like white folks. We go there, peaceful thing, probably about 1.2 million people in that place, and we come back and everybody's like, what, you know, the Tavis Smiley's of the world was like, what are we going to do from now? We need to get together. You, you see the police presence. Snipers on the, on the, um, you know, in the garage when we went back to the car, they locked us in the elevator because they had full riot gear and the snipers was hiding their guns as we were going to our car. If that thing would have turned out bad, that some some woman would have got attacked while we were there with that many black men, it would have like riot. And then all these fools who were sitting on the sidelines would be like, see, see, see what happened even though we would have been in protection mode. So this thing is very complex when you come down to it, and we need to be smarter. We cannot just react off the emotion of it. We need to see what the bigger chess game is in this. So I'm concerned. I'm always looking from that perspective. So, you know, I, that's how I feel yeah. about it. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, I appreciate your thoughts always, Jerome. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. We are fifteen minutes after the top of the hour. We're going to step out and take a break. And you know, for all of us who have children, uh, especially young sons, you know, these are turbulent times for us because we never know if our son or even daughter, they walk will ever, ever, ever come back again. You know, Johnny D talked about the conversation that he had to have with his son. Uh, because of the times in which we live. And so for those parents out there who may be having trouble trying to find the right words to say to their young, adolescent, teen sons and daughters, we're going to play something for you, and we'll be back on the other side. My father's conversation with me was daily. My grandfather uh, talked to me as a, as, a, as a black man from Augusta, Georgia, Growing up in the deep south. That's right, Rob. My older brother had this conversation. But then it's more of like, you know, wear a condom, do this. You know, it's like man, it's like little man lessons. When a cop pulls you over. When you get pulled over, not if you get pulled over. At some point, you will get pulled over. And here is how you act. As a, a young black man growing up in New York, I've had, you know, a few run-ins with, with the police and being completely innocent. The people pull us out of the car, throw us on the floor. It's in February, so it's like snow and slush and stuff on the ground. Put their knees in our back, put the guns to our head. As I'm putting my hands on the steering wheel so uh, I don't make uh, the police nervous, I realize how nervous I was. 
And then I realized my children were nervous. The thing that people say is you have to talk to him before he uh, experiences racism himself. But when is that? He is going to turn into a large, scary black man. And that is, it's, that's not who he is, but that's how he will be perceived. I, I know what this kid's going to look like. like him. You know, he, I know what he's going to look like. When I'm a large, scary black you man. You are a large, scary no. black man. Okay? That's a problem in and of And that's a problem. I am not large nor scary. I can't do anything with that. I'm sure. Anyway, go ahead. It's frightening. And I'm being very light when I use the word frightening. If something goes wrong, your first line of defense, uh, you know, the parents not being there, is to go to the police. If you're Caucasian. So, I mean, yes, still, that's what you still, teach your children. Unfortunately, uh, you know. it can't work for black children, right? Being an African-American is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful blessing. You have come from great people, but it's also a hard thing. In America, because of your skin color, as a black boy and as a black man, we are going to be dealing with a lot of danger. Under no circumstance... Are you to talk to the police if you're arrested until I get there? Do what they say. Don't get into any arguments. Make sure your hands are out of your pockets so they can see. These are the questions you can ask. This is who to call. This is this is what happens if this bad thing. thing. It's not like, please, master, don't whip me. No, it's like, excuse me, sir, what is your badge number? I'm going to film this. If you want police brutality to stop, if you want police to treat you like a human being, then you you have to see yourself as a human being. You have every right in this world that anyone else does. What I love about you as my son is I remember when we thought about having you and, you know, knowing that we wanted you and watching you grow. You are the Muhammad Ali, you are the Malcolm X, you are the Martin Luther King. You are an amazing young man, and the future is yours. And I will do my best to make sure you're safe. That's it. I love you. Blocking the door. What you unit? I don't need to tell you that. What unit do you live in? 307. Okay. Great. I'm on the fourth floor. Excuse me. No. You don't have a keypad. You are. No. 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 If you have that, then okay. Ma'am, you're not security. You're not the property manager. You're not no, Mike Herman. But I live here. Okay, and I live here too. You're not Mike Herman. You're not Rick. 
I don't like the fact you have your phone in my face. Okay, I don't like the fact that you're blocking me for what I pay. All I'm live. asking is what you But you're not, I don't need to tell you that information, man. If you want to come into my building. It's not your building. You're not the owner. The pay rent. Sir, you walk up on a street. Yes, yes, and I've already buzzed in. I've already you did one. not. Okay, man, it does not even matter. Can you can get you, out of my way? No. Can you show me the keys? I don't get, I'm not showing you anything. And the second man, I'm bound to walk through where I live at. So. No. Okay. Can you show me the keypad into this? No. Excuse no. Me. Welcome back in three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's the serious side uh, here on the TGRS Radio Network online radio. It's best. Uh, just another example example of living while black. Uh, people feel that they have the right just to tell folks, "Hey, look, I'm not letting you in. You need to prove to me that <laughs> that you belong in this building." Uh, just an interesting uh, interesting times in which we live. It's just something that uh, it's just hard to. Uh, even though we should be used to it by now, it's still kind of hard. And I think this whole thing with the death of George Floyd uh, was a breaking point for a lot of people. Like I said at the top of the show, I am angry. I am upset. And nothing anyone can say this morning is going to, uh, you know, re- you know, it's going to reside that. It's not going to make it go away. I'm telling you, I am not happy today. And I'm going to do myself a favor. I'm going to stay in the house today because nobody wants to encounter this J. Rob on the street. It's almost like when I first saw Roots. I, next day, I was ready to go to school and fight everybody. You know, because at that time, we had never seen anything, at least from being a young kid, seeing this on television play out was something that uh, resonated with me for a very long time. Let's say good morning to our... Uh, Good morning to our beautiful, beautiful family. Let's say good morning to Vanessa. Good morning, Vanessa. How you doing? I'm trying to get ready for church because I need the Lord today more than I have ever needed the Lord to touch my spirit. So I'm getting ready to go to church because I want to get there early to be in this house. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you as well. Good morning to our sister Kathleen. Good morning, Kathleen. How are you? I'm 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 here. I'm alive, thank God. Good morning everybody. Good morning to you as well. My little brother's in the house. Good morning, Hawkman. How you doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I, I tell you what, we we are going to have to to uh, look at two things. Uh, you all motivate me every every weekend, so Let's continue to do that. Let's continue to educate. Uh, this is this is something that that too shall pass. Um, great dialogue. Uh, now, I think what we do is we leave people with some thoughts and some ideas on how to improve on today and moving forward with tomorrow. So I am just again thankful to be part of this show, Jay, and uh, like I say, just appreciate you for the thirty plus years of friendship and love. Hey man, back at you, ditto. Good morning to my brother Jerome. Good morning to Jerome, man. What's going on, my brother? Nothing much, brother. How you doing? Hey, man. Just uh, glad to be in your world. Glad to be occupying the same space as you. Glad our paths are crossing. Of course, my eternal brother forever, Mr. L to the E to the S. Man, what's going on with you, brother, this morning? Good morning, good morning, good morning, all. And Jay, don't ask me who's in the chat room because... I'm having probably been getting in there myself, so, ta-da. Okay, well, it's okay. 
a lot of people listening, a lot of people. Yeah, now we don't want to hear any nonsense. Uh, I know, Kavina, man, good morning to you, sir. I know you always tune in, and good morning to the the usual suspects, you know, folks who always tune in to the show. Uh, We appreciate them and everything that they do. Um, So anyway, let's, uh, let's continue the conversation. Uh, let's get out to the phone lines. We have people on hold for a very long time. Let's uh, bring in our former colleague, Steve. Good morning, Steve. Welcome to the Serious Side. Man, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Jay. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I definitely believe the agenda here is to federalize all of the local police across the entire United States. And the reason I believe that or martial law is because uh, Cuomo uh, could not get the sheriffs in the local rural areas to go along with COVID-19 uh, stay-at-home orders. The sheriffs have massive power in this country, and I believe the elite the power that be. And uh, keep in mind, this racism comes from the very top. I, I did some deep research into the history of racism from the Blue Bloods, from the Pope, the Roman Catholic Church, from the Jews in Israel to the Saudi Arabian royal family to uh, the elites in Buckingham Palace, the royalty, the royal family. This is racism, ladies and gentlemen. It comes from the top and it works its way on down. It's like a virus to the CIA, the Illuminati, but they want to get rid of the power of your local sheriffs and consolidate that power into a federalized police force or just total martial law. Then the rollout of the vaccines, because they want mandatory vaccines, but they cannot do that without the cooperation from local law enforcement. So I definitely believe there's a bigger agenda. I believe there's professional protesters out here getting paid to cause damage and then blame it on us when there's a lot of white people doing the majority of the looting, the majority of a lot of the damage that's going on, leaving pallets of bricks behind throughout Minneapolis. And directing the crowd, the bricks of pilots, so they can throw the bricks. There's a bigger agenda here. The superpowers are behind this. They, there's an agenda. And I have, I've read an 800-page book, uh, What Really Makes You Ill. Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong, Ladies and Gentlemen. You can only get a virus if it's injected into you. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, these vaccines are going to be extremely dangerous. Jerome tried to warn you. And uh, 1961, 62, they engineered the AIDS virus in UCLA lab, put it in the smallpox vaccine, killed 75 million Africans with the smallpox vaccine. There's a bigger agenda here. Jerome knows, probably knows about that agenda with the vaccines. You've got to protect yourself. Look, Steve, I'm always fighting for you. But the racism starts from the top and it works its way down like a virus, ladies and gentlemen. There's a bigger agenda here, and you, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for you. I'm praying for you too. I'm praying for you. And God bless well, you. Well, Steve, man. As, as always, man, uh, you know, appreciate your input, man. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being a part of the show. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is people are at a peak where folks are upset. Let's get out to another phone call now. This guy is a uh, police chief in the San Antonio area. 
uh, wanted to get his perspective on what he saw uh, when he saw the officer that was engaged uh, in the death who actually murdered, let's just call it what it is, who murdered George Floyd. And in full disclosure, this guy is a family member. Let's bring him in uh, to bring in the chief. Chief, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, J. Rowell. How you doing? Doing outstanding, man. Listen, question for you. Uh, you saw the video. Now, under any circumstances, Chief, <laughs> Could this have been prevented? Are police officers taught to when they have a suspect apprehended? This guy was in handcuffs. He was no longer a threat as far as I'm concerned. Tell me what you saw wrong and how the police officers handled this situation. I want to look at it from a you know a tactical perspective because people can say, well, J. Rod, everybody knows what went wrong. Of course we do. But I want you to kind of outline for us what you saw, and had these been your officers, what type of disciplinary actions you would take if any of your officers did this, uh, that, that that's part of your force? So as you know, I've been a guy in blue and green for 33 years. And out of 33 years, I've been head of investigations. I've been part of the SWAT team for the president. And I've been police chief for 19 years. And through all the training that I went to and all the training that I have taught police officers, that hold has never, ever been utilized. But the biggest point is whether the hold is authorized or unauthorized. The first thing, George asked for help. He told them he couldn't breathe. Even before the officer put that special hold that he calls or they call or Minnesota's police department calls on George, he told them, I can't breathe. At that time, as a police officer, we automatically supposed to call 911 and get medical assistance to that suspect. I mean, we've guarded the worst of suspects in military history. And no matter what they've done, they got medical attention. Because we're not the judge and the jury. we got to get them there. So, that's problem one. You have another officer just standing around, just looking at what's going on. Instead of telling his colleagues, say, hey, we're wrong, stop. Yet he was a coward and went along with it. So they should have immediately arrested all four officers, or the county should have came in and did that until all the evidence was discovered to see exactly what charges should have been filed. None of that was done. Yet the police chief decided, well, let me just fire these guys and get them out of my hair and I don't have to worry about it. That was the wrong answer, too. So this incident should have never happened over what they would call a counterfeit $20 bill that they wasn't even for sure they had the right suspect or the reasons why. There's nothing in the car that says he had other counterfeit $20 bills or $100 bills in his vehicle. There's no evidence to say, hey, this guy's saying, well, you know, this is what happened when you're on drugs. Nobody found any drugs yet. So everything that was said has been pretty much probably not the truth as it stands right now, right? So this is just an incident where an individual lost his life, leaving six children behind without a father. That shouldn't have never even happened. So that's how we kind of look at that. Uh, we would never, ever have our officers go on the street and perform like that. There was a 
For instance, when I was a kid growing up, the officer used to ask me, what do you want to be, right? And you always say, well, you want the police officer to fire me because that was the ideal job to have to help the public. And then I saw a cartoon the other day, and it was a white officer asked a little black kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I just want to be alive. In other words, you don't trust the system anymore. Well. So, well. I mean, we hear six years later from the big Ferguson, Michael Brown case, where the officer just, you know, said he was fearful for his life. We rioted, did everything, and I, I kind of don't agree with what the young lady you had on your show said. Well, I would just go target all the white stores and stuff. Well, this is a a police problem, not a problem that society really had. And then if you tear up your own neighborhood or their neighborhood, who benefits again? There's not a whole lot of black people that own construction companies. So who makes money to rebuild all these things? Hmm. So now well, we done broke down exactly what Martin Luther King and told us true. to integrate. We broke it all apart. He died for nothing if we start doing this. Because now we're going back. Well, Malcolm X said, don't integrate, separate. I'll respect you more when you do that. Either way, maybe both had a point, but somewhere in the middle, we all have to meet. And as I look at it, we're all human. So there should be no difference between whether you're white, black, or brown. You're all a human being walking with two legs and two arms, if you're fortunate. So we all, we all is in this together, as you see. That's why the margins are going on in different countries, because everybody thinks America is the place to be. To put the flag up in Austin and just burn it off a light pole, that's America's flag. That's the people's flag. You can't look at whether you like your president or don't like your president, and I want to burn the flag, or I don't want to stand for the national anthem or, or not. This is for us. It's not for a political person. That person comes and goes. The American flag is going to last as long as this country lasts. And so we have to respect and honor what we're here for and what people died for us for. And that's why we have laws, and we have to be vigilant in how we use these laws. And if they're crooked, we have to call other people in. You know, the, the sheriff could have arrested the guys instantly, too. Just like the state police could have came and did the same thing when the video went public, they could say, well, we're going to arrest these guys right now. And made an announcement over, over the uh, media and say, yep, we saw, we don't have all the evidence, but right now we got enough to arrest these guys until we get all the facts together. So there was more than just one police department that could have handled the situation in the Minnesota area. Right. Can and, I, can I um, add something here, Jay? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. You know, here's the thing. I, I mean, I I understand what you're saying, and I understand that that it's a public relations issue. I understand what your what your job is, what your position is, right? And and I am a person. I'm a part of the system too, right? So just kind of as a strategist and doing political campaigns and understanding like how leadership flows from the top, I understand that that is something that we have to do as a society. But when the law breaks, law there is no law. Right, and so we cannot continue to go down the same path of saying, "Hey, you know what? You get to play by rule, and or uh, we got to get to play by rule, and they don't." And 
so this is a time that we get to discuss that, right? If there is no other time to discuss it, there is a time to do it now. So I'm I'm not saying anything against what you're saying, but what I'm saying to you is that we need to elevate this to a higher thought. Because if this country is not going to abide by its own laws, then there it's lawlessness. There is no law. The law does not get to break the law either, right? So to tell us constantly every time something happens that we as a community need to stop tearing up our community, we have to go back to systemic racism, redlining. We need to say that nobody owns these stores that's in here. Those those stores, you're getting you know a roll of toilet paper for $3 when you can go to water and get, you know, whatever. We, we need to talk about that stuff across the board. We need to talk about the education system. We need to talk about all the systemic issues that's contributing to why this is going on. Because it's not just the police department. So when we see this, we cannot say to black people, we are not being smart. The people are agitating this. Again, it was undercover officers caught on tape agitating this. There's been white people knocking out windows in, there was like a vegan restaurant or something in uh, Minnesota that was nowhere near that, that people are knocking out windows. Black people don't just go around and say, hey, let me take out my neighborhood grocery store. These are other people who are going in, too. So we cannot point the finger and be narrow about how we start to look at ourselves in times of crisis. This is where this all breaks down, right? We cannot involve Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. They're both dead, and they both got killed by the same system that is telling us, calm down, we need to go through the process. All I'm saying is that we need to look at it differently, not to disrespect anybody. Not disrespect their words and their honesty, but we need to understand that um, this is a pathology issue. And if we don't start to address the pathology of the people who are trying to hurt you, then technically we will never get any farther than we are right now. So I'm, I'm just kind of want to make sure that we steer back to the point where Vanessa's point is well taken. It was like back in the days when everybody kept given President Clinton a pat on the back for his sister soldier moment. She said exactly what, what Vanessa said. If this stuff was going on in the suburbs, people would look at it different. Ain't nobody telling nobody to go kill white people. Ain't nobody, don't nobody care about them like that. So anytime when a black person says, if you do it outside of your neighborhood, they would look at it different. This is not our pathology that we're talking about. We're talking about theirs. We're talking about the people who sent postcards of people hanging and being burnt. They sent postcards. We're talking about people hanging from trees, and they were outside, um, you know, doing their laundry, ignoring their humanity and dealing with people. We're talking hundreds of years of having that embedded in you and why you are not feeling the same way that everybody else is. So when we keep telling black people to calm down, we are trying to put them back inside the same box that's actually contributing to the, the, the woman calling, talking about I'm calling to tell a black man is – is, is threatening me, meaning that she wasn't threatening him. That's where that privilege comes in. We need, to un, we need to pull a Band-Aid off of that and say that the systemic changes that need to happen need to happen in the police department, needs to happen in the education system, and we need to deal with it now and stop saying, um, stop burning up stores. That is, a, that is an effect. That's not the cause, right? If we stop the cause, then we won't have the effect. We do a little preventative medicine right now, we can make this place better. But it's not our job to figure out how to work backwards from all of these things 
of having trash on your street or having looting. There are people here going out, black folks going out, cleaning up those areas after that looting happens at night. We don't focus on them. We're focused on the fact that something got burnt down. There's corporate responsibility that needs to happen. There's government responsibility that needs to happen. And there's individual responsibility that needs to happen. Because just a week ago, white folks are out protesting with guns, talking about they don't want to put no masks on their face because of a pandemic. So when we talk about anarchists and we talk about people who have a, a, a mentality that comes from colonization, y'all need to look like and act like us or y'all wrong. We have to not internalize that and start looking at each other and calling ourselves criminals in situations when we are being oppressed. Well, well said, Jerome. Uh, Father, the chief, I'm going to bring you I'm going to come to you right now. I just want to say to the chief, I'm sorry we had to let you go, chief. Uh, You can come back next week and we can definitely continue the conversation. We're running short on time. I'm going to go around the table and give everybody some final thoughts. Uh, Vanessa, go ahead. My final thought is Chief, thank you for being here, and we, we appreciate everything you say. I'm not going to take back what I said. Inconvenience, the white people burn their stores on Rodeo Drive so that their wives have to go online or go to Walmart. Inconvenience, the white people. I don't care if the white construction worker gets the work, because guess what? It ain't going to be no white boys out there sweeping them streets. It ain't going to be no white boys out there picking up that trash. Those are going to be jobs for black people. So it's not even about the job. I say do it because they need to be inconvenienced. Like we have been inconvenienced cheap as black people because they skipped me in line because I'm black. They skipped my husband in line at the hamburger stand last week and went to the person next to him. I think he was Hispanic. Bobby was livid. This has to stop. And if I need to burn some stuff down to inconvenience them cheap, burn it. Burn it down to the ground, the whole rich area. Burn it down. That's just me. That's just me. Inconvenience them. Like they have inconvenienced me for 57 years of my life. Now, y'all have a good week. I'm in prayer. I'm a, I am so, I have never been so upset on this show and mad in my entire time I've been on this show. And I've been with Jay Rowe now about five or six years. So I, I just, I, 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 I'm beyond. I am beyond yeah. upset. I am. So y'all have a good week. Thank you for allowing me, Jay, to be on the show because everybody else thank you. And I guess I, you might have thought I took it for granted, but I appreciate being here to voice oh, my, my opinion and what I think and what I feel in my heart. And, Jerome, thank you for expressing it better than I could have ever thought about expressing it. You can't tell me how to feel. You just can't. And I'm not uneducated, Chief. I'm not. I have a degree. I have a stock portfolio. I'm not uneducated. But this is how I feel right now, today, as an educated black woman that is treated like trash for white people that is trash. Just saying. All right, Vanessa. Wow, that's powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, Kathleen, give me your uh, final thoughts on this. We're running, running short on time. Give me your final, give me a final thought on today's show. I um, I listened to uh, Reverend Sharpton yesterday, 
uh, he was in Staten Island with uh, a group of protesters, as he's often uh, in all these different cities. He's probably been to all these different cities at, after um, killings of uh, black people at the hands of the police. He was in Staten Island yesterday at the site where Eric Garner was killed. And like you all said earlier, that officer, it took six years for that officer to be terminated from his job. Um, what I believe is that it's necessary for us to continue to keep our fingers on this situation. And it'll be for the rest of my life, I'm sure, my children's lives and and hopefully not their children's lives. But our focus on them and listening to Vanessa was probably hard for a lot of us. And maybe some people are like, oh, my God, that's so ridiculous. Don't, you know, don't say that. We don't believe in the violence. And, and yeah, we don't. But we have to hear her. We have to hear everybody's emotions about this because it is, there's no one thought, there's no one solution, there's no one plan. It's everybody. And just like Jerome said, and we all said earlier, it's not just the police department. It's the system and institutionalization that gives a police officer the thought in his mind that he can do something like this on camera with witnesses to keep his knee on the windpipe of a suspect that I don't even know is guilty for eight minutes and 43 seconds, listening to him beg for his life, then see him go listless and then keep his knee there for another two minutes plus while someone is telling him, should we turn him over? I don't have a pulse. And then he keeps his knee there. That's not just because he is just a, a faulty police officer. That's because one, he thinks he can. And two, more painfully, he thinks he should. I should wipe out this guy, and I don't care if he can't breathe, his problem, because he doesn't think there will be a repercussion because there has never been. Underneath all of that is the systemic racism that has been ruling this country that would lead a, a woman, educated or not, Vanessa, you don't have to qualify yourself, to lead anybody to feel like my only recourse at this point is to see the whole place burn down. When that is the result, that's the emotion and that's the feeling, it's because of this. So now, I, I you know what, I'm not even going to say now. We need to sit there in that place for a while and see and feel everything that there is to see and feel before we can move forward. I want to see the rest of those Thank offices you, go, to, go, go. You're welcome, sweetheart. I want to see the rest of those offices arrested. They have not been yet. 
The other three are just watching on TV and eating popcorn and pizza maybe and, and calling the other guy saying, we got your back. You know, I, I, the, the justice has to incorporate everybody who's wrong. And then we play that out. But playing it out, just like the legal defense fund that was mentioned earlier, playing that out means the whole system has to work. Because I'm part of the system, too. Jerome, you know, just quotes his, I'm an attorney. We know, you know, the, the rest of the justice system does not necessarily work. The grand jury going to trial, all of that. We've seen officers go to trial before and then get, you know, their bonuses, their pensions, their, you know, lifetime health benefits while another family is burying their own. There's no end to this at this moment, unfortunately, Jay. So thank you for the opportunity to to share and allowing us to just emote and talk about this. And as we continue to talk, we'll talk about all the different ways we can begin to solve it. Because the one thing, and I'm sorry for going over, but the one thing I don't want us to do is go into a place of hopelessness or defeat. You know there's not hopelessness and there's not there's no defeat because we see millions of people across this entire nation, United States of America, saying we will not be defeated. There is hope and we are going to keep hope alive. Well said, Kathleen. Uh Johnny, let me get your final thoughts on today's uh show, man. Right. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I love the passion. Uh, I love the dialogue and the communication. And, Jay, uh, I certainly appreciate you bringing on uh, the chief from the San Antonio Police Department. Um, I would be remiss if I did not uh, emphasize this here. I didn't get the impression, nor was I in a position to articulate how people should or should not react. What my emphasis will always be is after after you do what you do, then what do you do next? We've been doing certain actions for 400-plus years in America, and we're still talking about it. So my point will be always this here. What do you do and where do you go from here? So I, I, I understood that this would probably be one of the topics. So, uh, Jay, if, if you would allow me an opportunity to to talk about some of these points of emphasis that, that I want to make in regards to how do we re- repair it, and I'll do it as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, one of the things and one of my recommendations is that uh, – we've got to institute special prosecutors and community review boards to make sure that we police the police and police law enforcement, police the judicial system, Uh, expand law enforcement training, um, even to citizen patrols and policing, which some communities have. I don't think that that was a training issue in Minneapolis. I don't think that that was a training issue in New York. I don't think it was a training issue when the officer in South Carolina shot this young man and tried to plant evidence on it. That's not training. That right there is criminal. And, 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 and don't, don't, don't misrepresent the fact that that was murder 
that occurred in Minneapolis um, define the use of force guidelines, not only to your law enforcement community, but then also to the citizens within that community, make it accessible, make it available, because that's part of the education process that unfortunately minorities are forced to uh, incorporate not only into their, their, into their young male children, but also their female children as well. We've got to make emphasis on recruiting minorities. Uh, we have got to be part of the system in which we want to change because you can't change it from the outside. So you've got to be part of it. Uh, citizen patrols, uh, some communities have citizen patrols and, and also training. And I reemphasize that right there, community policing, which started uh, back in the early 2000s was really effective where what they did, that allowed law enforcement officers to go into communities in which they may or may not be familiar with and get an opportunity to see people in, in, in a dignified, humane manner so that you can have a better understanding of the culture, but then also foster and develop a relationship. But because of the polarization of, of this president, uh, community policing no longer exists as, as much as as, as in some states as others so we've got to get back to that and then again we've got to change the perception of of the african-american community and, and minority community in regards to villainizing prosecutors and law enforcement and emt and anyone that has anything to do with those individuals who who who, who i call those, those good faith warriors those those persons who put themselves out there on the line and we've got to have some data collection um, Put this information out there so that rogue officer that 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 that, that murdered um, the, the gentleman would be known to to the public in regards to his discipline, so that those individuals can be exposed. And then we got to educate our own. Like I said earlier, talking to your 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 the young males within your community, really just simply just being about action. You know, being about action. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that God has blessed me to a point where I can have a $4,000 a year scholarship to a criminal justice uh, student. And again, I, I always make sure that that is a person that is a minority because we have got to get into the system so that you can support the chief that's in San Antonio. And then you look at uh, the, the Department of Public Safety uh, Commissioner and the chief of police in Minneapolis. See, these are the ones who ultimately have to deal with the recruitment and the promotions of individuals who don't think like us, nor do they want to be like us. So in order for us to make changes, those are some of the things that I suggest. So again, I appreciate the spirit of conversation and the passion for today. And again, thank you for giving me an opportunity to have a voice. All right, not a problem, man. Now, uh, if Jerome's up to it, we want to go to overtime. We definitely want to get in on a need-to-know basis. If Jerome wants to do that, we can do that at the top of the hour uh, because, once again, most of our majority of audience are people who listen through podcasts and iTunes, so we'll leave that up to Jerome. But still, yes, man, let me give you a short minute. Let me go ahead and give you a few minutes to kind of simulate your thoughts, and I want to read some comments that have come in uh, about today's show. Go ahead. Well, Jay, like I, I said before, I, I said it best, we have to formulate a plan. And to me, the only way to formulate a plan is education, okay? We need, we need money for schools. We have being black billionaires and black millionaires all over the country. Why don't we, uh, if, I, if I had millions of dollars, I would open up 
grocery stores and gas stations in every black community. And I would name the store black owned so you know who you're going to shop with. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't be about profit. It wouldn't be about money. I would make some profit, but it wouldn't be to the fact that some of these people are price gouging these people, you know, and I don't understand why we don't do as, as all these black billionaires and millionaires that we got, we don't do it. I don't understand why we don't have our own. You know, like I said, economics, that's the key to it all, folks, because if you got that, if you got that almighty dollar, you can put the money back into your community. You can put the money back into schools where it belongs. You can educate your people. You can set up scholarships. When my mother died, she left a healthy amount of money uh, in my name. And I could have took that money and done anything in the world I wanted to with it because she left it to me. But because education was important to my mother, I set up a scholarship fund for her grandchildren and her great-great-grandchildren and her great-great-great-grandchildren that will keep going because she also left me a house. And I rent this house out, and the money that goes from that house goes into a scholarship fund for her grandkids to keep going to college to make something of themselves. Because if you are dumb... You won't understand the system. So you got to start there first. And secondly, you've got to start investing back into your community because if you don't invest in your community, guess what happens? Gentrification, white folks come. They do it all the time. They come. I've seen it happen in Indianapolis. I've seen it happen all over the place. That what they do, they'll come back downtown and they'll build downtown back up and then they'll kick those people out. Look, folks, wherever you live, make it valuable. I don't care if it's in the middle of the ghetto. Make it valuable and have pride in yourself because if you don't have any of these things, you don't have nothing. Well said. My final thoughts, I'm going to use that time to read some comments from uh, from social media. Uh, let me read one from Pastor Stephen F. Jones. He says, it's not often that I'm moved to tears. God bless you all. What a powerful, powerful show. Please pray for this nation. Appreciate it, Pastor. Grace from Chicago, Illinois. Can I have your permission to post this broadcast on my blog? OMG, this this is this this show has touched my heart in a way that I could have never imagined. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much, Grace. Keith, Cleveland, Ohio. Tip of the hat for the what to say to our black sons. It's refreshing to hear the opinions of strong African American leaders. You guys are leaders because you continue to use your platform to speak to your people. And trust me, we are listening and following your lead. Wow, Keith, man, that's powerful. Uh, Marianna Music, she says, I can't stop crying. We live in a country where the color of our skin determines how we are treated. I feel for my dark-skinned brothers and sisters who are discriminated against because of the darkness of their skin and complexion. People treat me differently because I am a fair skin, and in most people's eyes, I'm perceived as being beautiful. I'm so sad this morning. I love you guys. This show will resonate with me for the rest of my life. Mwah to you, Marianna. Brandon from Houston, great point by the Chief. On Black Construction, Carlos from Miami, Florida says, Trump name wasn't mentioned once on the show. Hallelujah. Uh, there you go, Carlos. We have a lot, lot more. So tell you what we're going to do. We're going um, to take a quick break. If Jerome, you want, we can definitely do uh, on a need-to-know basis. i gotta get a, I got to get some of that this morning if you're ready. We can do that here in about two minutes. But I want to take this opportunity to say to all of my family members here on the show, thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for your raw emotions. That's what we needed to hear. I think people respect us more because they, we're going to give it to you regardless whether it's politically correct or not. I've seen some comments of people saying, oh, they use the N-word. You dang all right every now and then you have to let, you guys got to get it. You have to get it. You got to get the emotions wrong. 
So we appreciate people who listen. We ask you guys to continue to protest, continue to stand up for your rights. There's, it shouldn't be a sin to live in this country. I shouldn't be discriminated against because I don't look like you. This is ridiculous. And I appreciate my colleagues for all the things that they've done and the truth that they spoke this morning. We're going to take a break. Coming up after the break, on a need-to-know basis, because I just need to know from my main man, Mr. Jerome Spring. We'll be right back. And if we lose the live audience, you can call in right now, 347-850-1272, and listen to the remainder of the show. Or if you're listening on iTunes and all the other different platforms, it's business as usual. We'll be right back after this. Depression and unemployment. This song is for you. Today's a new day. But there is no sunshine. Nothing but clouds and it's dark in my heart and it feels like a cold night. Today's a new day. with you.
praying. Look in the mirror. Always remember. And he was saying 
where we need to go from here. It's like we didn't even start yet. We there was nobody started any changes. The four guys are not even arrested, and we are trying to calm everybody down because of um, our comfort level. It is uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. So the the mayor of Tulsa, you know, said that they should have started this um, 98 years ago, and unfortunately, he's the guy who is pushing to uncover mass graves that they have not even discovered in Tulsa just to identify the people who were killed during that massacre. Wow. wow. Think wow. about all this. Wow. Wow. Like what's going on today. We have mm-hmm. a wreck by history and then come forward to say, okay, you know, they need to seriously do what South Africa did. Need a truth and reconciliation committee. I mean, they really need to be like, this is where we messed up. Here's what we need to correct. And so Tulsa's mayor, shout out to him. And like I said, Minnesota's mayor as well um, for their leadership. That's what leadership is, acknowledging and then making corrections, not just going after people because you think, oh, they brought a law that seems to only apply to black people. Now, you know, also, you know, this week, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, who I guess she's a senator from Hawaii, right, who ran for president. She dropped her lawsuit this week against Hillary Clinton um, for calling her a Russian asset, <laughs> right? So she, on Wednesday, she dropped the defamation lawsuit that she filed against Hillary Clinton, where she claimed that um, she lied to her, she lied about her ties to Russia. You know why I think she dropped it? Because she has ties to Russia. <laughs> but that's just me. Don't sue me, Tulsa. That's where I think it came from. Now, an affluent Atlanta neighborhood sees a spike in COVID-19 cases after more than 30 prep school students test positive following a graduation party hosted by a doctor's son. So the Love School in Atlanta informed parents last week wow. that graduating seniors had tested positive for the coronavirus following a drive through ceremony on May 17th. So, you know, talk about people reopening you soon, right? All right. Um, South Korea is forced to reclose. Now, they closed. They opened up. They're reclosing 251 schools following a spike in their coronavirus infections um, just days after they returned to class. So they, it was days, and they reclosed it. So they said a total of 2. Um, 2.37 37 million South Korean children were allowed back into the classroom on Wednesday, but two days later, 251 schools closed. And they'll be forced to close in. So, again, they don't we're looking at... With it. Is that they it? do not play around with it. South Korea don't play. When they when they got something, they close it down. Not us. We're ready to get back in and start partying. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get out and party. Yeah, it's like I said with this whole protesting thing, right? Like, you have people out with guns um, in legislatures talking about it's our freedom to be able to go out without a mask. You know, it's like, okay. Um, it, it, it's just totally it's madness. Yeah. It is. It is. Yep. Now, um, who was it? It was um, uh, Wisconsin. Yes. Wisconsin is seeing a record number of 900 or 599 new corona cases in a day 
and 22 deaths. This is two weeks after their Supreme Court struck down the stay-at-home order. Wisconsin reported 599 new confirmed cases on Wednesday. It's per wow. their record set last Shocking. week. So as of okay. Thursday, the state reported a total of 16,974 cases and 550 deaths. Shocking. Because I, I, I've seen those people in the bars. As soon as they gave that order, they were like, I'm going back to the bar. Yeah, I yep. figured as much. Yep. You know, and, and I have a friend in Vegas who said, um, even though when when Vegas, you know, governor or Nevada's governor and those guys were like, we should open up, open up. They said we were watching national news with New York's governor because the person is from New York. And they're like, I watch New York's governor. I ain't going jack. <laughs> so that would be good advice for anybody. anybody. New York's cases is going, New York case is going down. Right? Because mm-hmm. the, numbers, the numbers go like this. If 60% of the people wore face masks with a 60% effective rate, it will annihilate that virus. It would be gone. 60% of the people at 60% effectiveness. That's how that's how good a mask is. Everybody does not have to have one. But mm. technically, if you have one, um, stay out of enclosed space that's circulating um, air condition, that's recirculating the same air, and um, have a mask on. So New York's yeah. numbers going down, but everybody else is going up, and they're like, "Freedom, let's go out, let's go to TGI Fridays." Sorry, I didn't mean to throw them out there, but anyway, let's go to let's go to uh, some restaurant. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for yeah. the people who like Fridays. Um, you know, <laughs> now Houston police is launching an investigation after a mounted horse was seen trampling on um, George Flood demonstrator during a protest. I saw eight cops injured, and they said 137 people arrested. They ran a horse through a crowd. This is the police. Wow. Right? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. Now, two New New York City police cars ran through a group of protesters in Brooklyn after a crowd surrounded them. So they just ran through the crowd. Two police cars. (laughs) Right? Wow. Uh, Again, um, so the... um, here, here's a here's a story. I know we kind of talk about this, where um, George Floyd's um, uh, Floyd's brother said that Dotard gave him a call, right? So Trump called him, and um, he didn't give him an opportunity to speak um, during that fast phone call, and um, he said that Trump just talking wouldn't let him enter enter. Uh, he wouldn't interact with him. Right, just so that he can say that he talked. So mm. Trump just kept talking, kept talking, ignored him, ignored him, ignored him, and then got off the phone. But um, he's Shocking. still caught. Yeah. Right. So here's where where I say when we say that we're not cooperating, trying to promote healing, what we need to do is he shouldn't have took a phone call. Right. If they're not to be You're reasonable, right. he should, or he should hung up on him. That yeah, I should have done. I just said I took it, but I'd have hung up on him. I'm like, click, shut up. I'm, I'd have called him exactly. and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, like, that would have been more powerful. Because it, it, it reminds me of la- what? Did you see what Lori Lightfoot did, the mayor of Chicago? No. <laughs> no. She said, I, I got, for, for what Trump said about what happens in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I got two words for you. And she said, I'm going to go back to the hood. F U. 
You know, two brothers, age six and seven, were killed after stealing their grandmother's car and crashing it off an embankment in a joyride. They were in Jackson County, Missouri. They were six and seven. Lost control of the car and fell down an embankment. Wow. Yeah. Out of all, I know, and Jim wanted me to do the news today. Like, <laughs> that is not a good news. Now, you know, we have uh, um, the, the Beijing now admits that the coronavirus didn't start in Wuhan market. So they, they're saying, where did it come from? So I don't know if that's an admission that it came from someplace else. But they're just saying, everybody's saying that open air market started this virus. And apparently it didn't. So, mm. all we know is ours came from Europe. So, worked out. Stop blaming China. Mm. In, in the words of Governor Cuomo, no, why are y'all blaming China? It came from Italy, and it came from in New York the city state it did. It came from Italy and other parts of Europe. So, you know, um, a top AI lawyer, um, Dana Axis Bone, um, Bowen, um, is asked to resign following his criticism over the handling of the Flynn case. So what's going on is that they're still getting people. Um, the FBI's general counsel resigned on Friday with all of this stuff going on um, because he's coming un- under fire from idiots like Lou Dobbs on the Fox Business Network. So those guys are still um, trumping those guys. Dotard, I know we didn't talk about that food on the show, but this is a climate that he's creating, and this is why he is um, he is sitting back, relaxing. He's like the guy who who um, started the fire as an arsonist and sitting watching the fire. Trump is sitting back, going, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is happening." Like so, that's the Trump administration is doing. So they're still adding fuel to the fire. Um, you know, I know people keep saying where are the entertainers and why they're not speaking up, but um, Beyonce is urging fans to sign petitions for justice over the senseless killing of George uh, Floyd and continue prayer and peace and compassion for healing is what she's saying. So she, people are saying uh, people like Oprah aren't, but I'm just saying, and, 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 and um, what's that guy from the last day? I'm just joking, Jay. I'm not going to mouth. Because I'm sure LeBron has already said something, so I didn't want to, I, I don't want to leave out everybody else. You know, when we talk about fake basketball players. Anyway, didn't want to do that. All right, so, <laughs> no. It, it, anyway, um, you know, there's a Chinese airline that's set to operate. The Chinese airline is set to operate more passenger flights than the U.S. carriers for the first time ever. So they have tracked data that shows from May 1st up to and including May 27th, where Chinese carriers completely um, – completed nearly 200,000 flights, and the U.S. carriers only did 170,000. So um, the airlines are going to be hurting after all of this, but you know, it happens. Just when mm. stuff, stuff is going on, and we can't have all that. What's wrong, Jay? All right, Drew, let's, let's do a couple, man, because your, your, your audio is fading fast. <laughs> Give us a couple more, man, <laughs> before we get out of here. Well, you know... It is, uh, it's been an energized show, so you know how this goes with um, electricity <laughs> when you do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's try this. Give me a little bit better now? Yes, a little bit better. Yeah, give us a couple more drones before we get out of here. Okay. 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 So we'll do this one. Um, 
Well, I'll, I'll do um, two. So, uh, Miami mother charged with murder after uh, admitting that she faked the abduction of nine-year-old nonverbal son and drowned him. So, Patricia Ripps, 45, faces attempted and premeditated murder charges and is being held in jail with no bond over the death of her nine-year-old son in Miami, Florida. Now, uh, our last story, you know, again, it was hard for me to do stories today, but I will do this one as our last story. This woman admits that she was a schoolgirl pimp who procured 24 friends as young as 14 for Jerry Epstein. He was paid $200 huh? for each victim. Yeah. So everybody forget about the, that billionaire scandal of Jeffrey Epstein. But she said she was she um got her friends and he gave her two hundred dollars for each person that came in. So she was being interviewed. She's thirty three now and she speaks about her involvement in the Jeffrey Epstein um web of schoolgirl recruit um, when she was sixteen years old in Florida. So they had wow. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I, I hate to miss out little things that we when you go back in the archives and say, Hey, I never heard that before, but heard it now. <laughs> they yeah. were they were still doing stuff. Well, wow. it's always true, wow. man. That's uh, well, well, listen, man. We we have to bring it to you, and, and the bottom line is, is that uh, I think we have some of the very best in the business. So I uh, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for the hey, hard work one? you do to put this segment together. Say, wait, wait. Say what you One more. Can I do Absolutely. one story? One. Yes, sir. This one yes, retired sir. NBA star Gilbert Arenas won three hundred thousand dollars in California California lottery last week, and I didn't get a chance to do the story. He explained on Instagram that he was rushing to a store, took a tank of gas, bought a $10 lottery t- ticket, won, and he's giving the money away. Mm. He That's won it, and he said um, um, this homeless guy, like some guy told him to buy him a ticket. So yeah. he, uh, he asked him for money. Uh, Arenas, who was too late to make it to the store to get his ticket, uh, the owner bought the ticket for him and gave it to him because he knew what the numbers were. And yeah. after he got the ticket, um, he um, found the homeless man who reminded him and gave him an unspecified share of the money. And he yeah. said that the man carefully began to pray after he embraced him for five minutes. Like he hugged Gilbert Reed, But he said, no, you was the one who reminded me and went back and gave that homeless guy money. Mm. Isn't that Thank story? God. Good thing. That's yes, a good. Sir. That's a good story, yeah, though, because story. you know he had his issues with bringing a gun, and I mean that whole thing that happened in DC. So, I'll bring yeah, up that's old a good stuff. story. Okay, I won't. I'll keep it moving. Well, folks, we appreciate you putting up with us this morning. We appreciate you listening to us get it off our chest because we're human just like you are. And I want to say thank you to the chief for checking in. I hope he checks in next week because I know he probably want to respond to some of the things that happened. And uh, we're going to continue to keep an eye on the story like we always do. And every Sunday we're going to continue to do what we do because – you know, the one person who, uh, and I don't know if I kept it, where he talked it, okay, here it is, where, let me read this again uh, by Keith in Cleveland, Ohio, because it really resonated. He says, tip of the hat for what to say to our black sons. It's refreshing to hear the opinions of strong African-American leaders 
You guys are leaders because you continue to use your platform to speak to our people. And trust me, we are listening and following your lead. That's a huge responsibility to have. And uh, we thank people for allowing us to come in their homes, but we're just like y'all. We just come and we just have a platform in which we can express our opinions. So we appreciate you. We love you. And uh, we want you to continue to be a part of the serious side because as long as I'm breathing and able to do it, it's going to happen. And uh, I can't speak for my colleagues, but I'm pretty sure they're passionate about what we do, and we want people to hear what we have to say. So uh, we thank you for that. We really do. Thank you. Thank you. Following our lead. Boy, that's a huge responsibility. I mean, when he said, when when I read it, I kind of set up in my chair. I'm like, my goodness. He says, trust me, we're listening, and we're following your lead. Kudos, Keith, to you and your compadres, and uh, we want you guys to be safe. Continue to protest, because what's going on here is something that we've never seen. And, you know, I thank God for my life, because... You know, we're living through some times that will be recorded in the history books, and I had the opportunity, and we all have had the opportunity to live through it and bear witness. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Kathleen, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, because we're going to get cut off in three minutes, can you give us a quick prayer before we get out of here, please, ma'am, if you don't mind? Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning, Lord God, for life. We thank you for all of the panelists here on the show today, all those who are listening, all those under the sound of our voices, and we thank you, Lord God, that you have placed in us the ability, the wisdom, and the compassion and passion to speak to your people. Lord God, we thank you for um, we thank you for the life of George Floyd today, and we are so hurting. We're hurting so badly, Lord God for how his life was taken. But, Lord God, just as you said, your word will not return to you void, Lord God. We promise and commit to you that we will stand for justice and the oppressed, for the widow, for the fatherless, just like Jesus Christ did in his day. Many people don't know you, Lord God, as the God of the oppressed. But we know that that is who you are, just as you were oppressed. Black people in this country are oppressed, and it is our responsibility, and we commit to standing up, speaking truth, fighting for justice, fighting for the oppressed, and righting the wrongs of this country. So, Lord, right now, bless the Floyd family. Bless all the families of those who have lost loved ones. And, Lord God, in your word it says pray for our enemies, and we are sending blessings also to the men and women in blue in this country while we ask you to change their hearts, change the hearts of those who are killers, and change the hearts of those who are standing by and supporting them in silence, change the leadership, Lord God, of the police systems in this country that allow these killings to go forth. And, Lord God, remove from office, through us, your people, everyone who is not working according to your will, everyone who would seek to oppress, remove them, be it from the White House to city councils and assemblies and so forth. Turn it over, Father, in the name of Jesus, because this is, this is your will, to see right and goodness and mercy and justice in this world. So transform leadership 
and transform all of us, Lord God, into people who will stand for justice, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, life, and love in this world. We believe it. We proclaim it. And, Lord God, I ask you also for anybody listening and anybody who gets this message, that if they are so inclined to stand up and take office or go into law enforcement or go into law, Lord God, that you give them the courage and the boldness to do it right now in Jesus' name. There is no limit when it comes to God. So go forward and live the destiny that you were designed and birthed to live. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We proclaim this. We declare it. We decree that change will take place in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well said. What a wonderful prayer to send us out on. Amen. Amen. Sunday. And, uh, and we're talking serious stuff. What time is it, my friend? It's time for the serious side of the J. Wow. Show. Every now and then you have one of those shows that you will never forget. And this is one that I would never, ever forget. So for Kathleen, for Johnny, for Vanessa, for Jerome, for Mr. LES, for our people who called, thanks to the Chief Steve and everyone else. I'm Jay Rossi, and have a great work week. And remember, if it's Sunday and we're talking serious stuff, it is the serious side. God bless. Be safe. Fight for the right. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. Network. Network.